Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. If there's anything better than getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's, it's getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's for less in the McDonald's app. Mm. Delicious. Order in the McDonald's app today. Right now, only in the app. Enjoy a breakfast sandwich for just $1, like a sausage McMuffin with egg. Offer valid one time per day from 429 to 512 at participating McDonald's. Must opt into rewards. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. I'm talking about Mr. Charles. I'm talking about Mr. Manson. Those are my lyrics. That's a good song. It's a good song. Man, can you imagine what his underwear smells like? Oh, my goodness. Well-treaded grass. (laughs) Disgusting. For some reason, I think about that all the time when it comes to, like, you know, either our founding fathers Mm -hmm. or, like, the president. Like, what is... Obama's balls smell like. I mean, he probably has the nicest smelling balls of all, of any president in U.S. history. There's Pristine, no doubt about like it. like two onyx orbs right. made of just of a unicorn hoof. Yeah, definitely. And, and then, of Charles course, Manson smell like a like a gin-soaked bramble bush. Yeah, and then Roosevelt is somewhere in the middle there. Uh, well, oh, no. Can you imagine Roosevelt? Ugh. Yeah, wheelchair oh, nuts. Yeah. Wheel, wheel, wheelchair nuts have to smell the worst out of all the nuts. There's no doubt about it. You can only get them cleaned once every three days. Absolutely, because it's a problem. It's because Eleanor hated lifting his ankles above his ears <laughs> so in order to get to him. Because she's just like, oh, better get to him. Oh, look at that getting greener than normal and that's been this week in last podcast on the left presidential history <laughs> welcome to the show everyone that's marcus parks i'm ben kissel we're joined all the way from los angeles by yeah <laughs> charles you're there you're out of the pokey you're out of the pen rap on the street that's what i know yeah, I was born with a knife in my hand, and I got diamonds in my shoes. <laughs> Sounds like you just I sell your shoes. Oh, no. He just has, like, the greatest frozen-in-time uh, vocabulary. Uh, he does. Like, possible. Like, as we watch, was you're going to listen to this episode, Charles Manson is such an interesting, interesting character yeah, as yeah. a person. He's like a... Um, of course... He's sort of a jazz musician, kind of a serial <laughs> killer, or not even a serial killer, kind of a, you know, he's a bebop kind of guy. Boy, we yeah, went across like, America, and we was on this trip that, man, it was a jive. Right, then what'd you do? We stabbed a bunch of women. Oh, okay. Stabbed a bunch of women. Hmm, I thought you were going to yeah, go on. Yeah, that wasn't my fault. That wasn't my fault. Right. So in case Everyone you have I ever slept with was born with a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so obviously we're talking about Charles Manson today. Uh, and uh, Marcus, once again, crack job on the research. Thank you, sir. Amazing stuff. Let's just start. 
at the at the beginning of his life, which uh, man, this guy did not have a lot of chances. <laughs> he, no, he began his life as No Name Maddox in 1934. Right. That is the name on Charles Manson's birth certificate. So his name no, is No Name. Yeah, his mm-hmm. name, no his name. given name is No Name. That's how he started life. <laughs> The big thing with Charles Manson that is very interesting is that he's different than any other big hitter that we've ever covered in Mm -hmm. terms of like, he had definite goals. Mm -hmm. Like he was a person that like, he, he's a con man. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see that as, as we lay out basically kind of our our thesis here at last podcast is that Charles Manson is not necessarily like, he's not a Dahmer. Like he's not a John Wayne Gacy. He's just a con man that was always looking for his next game. And then it just so happened to be that the game changed. The game around him changed. And he was just now in for the ride if he wanted to be a part of it. He's a lot Um, like Kurt Cobain. You know, he was just the most charismatic (laughs) person on the scene and they made him the star. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Kurt Cobain killed himself. But Manson lived. (laughs) Manson lived and he still lives. And he's still fucking hard as a rock. He's in there having sex with twins. 25-year-olds, I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't believe Manson is a sociopath. I don't think he's a psychopath. He is a sociopath. He is a, he is a sociopath. You think he's a he- sociopath? Yes, because because he has the, he suffers from the same things that they, they basically talk when you're looking for a sociopath. He's right. glib. He's really good on the, like he's really good on the front of like talking to people and stuff like that. He does not feel consequences for his actions. When you read the book Manson in His Own Words, yes. which is fantastic, it's so because good. Whenever do you get when do you get an autobiography written by the killer? You know what I mean? Like it's very right. rarely, very rarely happens. Um, and so he is, it, but in this, you basically just he has no feelings really. Um, I don't know. But, to me, he it, it seems like he's got quite a bit of love in his heart. All right, all right. So let's let the audience decide. <laughs> One thing we know for sure, as we'll get into here, Marcus it, has a lot of compassion for Charles. Manson. He does. He, it is creepy amount. I have to be in studio with him, Henry. So at least you're an entire coast away. Uh, so you're safe. You're fine. Maybe don't come back for a couple of days. Uh, Marcus might be going on one of his sprees. Uh, but like all sociopaths and serial Put in my street front girl. Street front girl. I'm going to be wearing like, no, a dress on the corner Jackie of. Alone. Yeah, exactly. Jackie and I are going to be uh, whoring out for pimp Marcus, paint him in burritos. I mean, come on, guys. Has there actually ever been a musician that was a sociopath? Think no, about it. No, not Bono. Think about it. <laughs> it's Think not Bono. It. Um, but like all uh, the heavy hitters we've talked about uh, previously, his childhood was extremely abusive and extremely traumatic, and uh, he was really birthed into the world with a uh, – the doctor had steel hands. <laughs> it was a cold world for the poor boy. He was born so – His doctor was Colossus? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> he was the, he's one of the best but also the worst doctors in America. But uh, he's the worst doctor in America, best doctor in Russia. <laughs> He was born to a prostitute named Kathleen, although Charlie says he she wasn't a prostitute. Charlie calls her a flower child of the 30s, 30 years ahead of her time. <laughs> the flower child? What would that so even a be? Prostitute. Yeah. He a prostitute because it only existed during the flower child era. Yeah, I would right. also say that, what I also love in Manson's own words, because he talks about his mom, she's like, now my mama, yeah, ha-ha, she would go around, and say, yeah, she was a friend of a man, oh, <laughs> friend of, and many a man, but what do you call a prostitute? No, 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 
Maybe she sold her body a little bit. <laughs> right. We never call. He loves his mother. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. And we're going to be taking a lot of this stuff from Manson in his own words. I did cross-reference a lot of this stuff that he said with other sources. And let's just say they don't always match up. Right. No, but right. who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe Charles Manson? Or are you going to believe some fucking dickhead DA named mm-hmm. Vincent Bugliasi? Bugliasi? Yeah, yeah, buddy. Get behind the curtain. Start wearing a mask. Go beyond Broadway. You sound like a phantom. Okay, yeah, that's exactly. ridiculous. Sounds like an Italian horror screen star. <laughs> so Kathleen, uh, she sued. We don't know who Manson's father is for sure. All we know is that she sued a man named Colonel Scott. I will say it's this: when your when feel your like, name is Colonel, you know, yeah. you were given the name Colonel as a boy. That just shows. Well, we actually don't know what his first name was. That was just the name on the lawsuit. It was Colonel. First name unknown, Scott. Is it possible that his father is Woody Allen? <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. She uh, could be the guy from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Ah, the Colonel. <laughs> so she was awarded a lump sum of twenty five bucks uh, plus five dollars per month to raise little Charlie, which really isn't that bad of a deal back in 1930s, right? Yeah, 1934 was when Charlie was born. Yeah. Uh, so Kathleen, she came from an extremely strict Christian household. She was rebelling against her parents. Uh, his mother believed, or her mother believed that. The showing of an ankle was sinful and makeup was evil, only used by hookers. Kathleen had Charlie when she was 15. That whole Christian trip, that's going to come in right. much, uh, that's going to come in a little bit later as far as how it affected Charlie. And uh, this, this is for the parents out there. So if you, this, sometimes you got to let your kids go out and look like whores. That's you know what right. I mean? Like sometimes you just got to go out there and let them go out and dancing around, show that, show that midriff, all right? Because mm-hmm. it keeps them. From having a Charles Manson yes. later on in life. That's right. Yeah, where the name Manson comes from was from a dude named William Manson, who was much older than her, uh, lived with Kathleen shortly after Charlie was born. He convinced her to marry him, which was not a good idea. Trying yeah, to, how difficult was that? Yeah, a 16-year-old girl with a 1-year-old son named No Name. Right. I mean, if she, if she <laughs> says no to him, he needs to off himself immediately. Actually, no, it wasn't No Name. It was Noname, which is no. Swahili for it was Swahili, Swahili for uncared for child. Oh, yeah. dirt yeah, yeah, feet, yeah. yes. Yes, and uh, Charlie said he didn't know whether the divorce was his fault or his mom's, so, but he placed most of the blame on her. He said, you know, she was always a promiscuous little broad. Yeah. He's One of got- mom's relatives delighted to tell the story of how my mother once sold me for a pitcher of beer. Mom was in a cafe one afternoon with me in her lap. The waitress would be mother without a child of her own. Jokingly told my mom she'd buy me from her. Mom replied, a pitcher of beer and he's yours. <laughs> waitress set up the beer. Mom stuck around long enough to fidget off and left the place without me. <laughs> Several days later, my uncle had to search the town for the waitress to take me home. I <laughs> Some My some families me. Ha- <laughs> that is verbatim from Charlie Manson. Some families some families have like game night, and then the, <laughs> this family was just like leave the baby at the bar for a pitcher or beer night, and that's kind <laughs> of fun. Though, I will tell you that if I, I I've been at the bar several times and have been broke, mm-hmm. and if I had a child and could, and, and in that moment, right, you asked me to give up the child for straight booze because the booze helps you forget you even had a kid. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> 
Yeah. I would do it. I agree. I, I would, would say it. it's probably uh, Charles's fault that they got a divorce because I cannot imagine that someone's like, I would marry you, but you don't have a one-year-old. <laughs> and I'm really looking for a woman who has an annoying piece of baggage with her at all times. So not a kid that's literally been like a professional pickpocket since the age of four years old. <laughs> right, right. So Kathleen, not surprisingly, was sentenced to five years in prison for armed robbery pretty soon after the bar incident. So Charlie went to go live with his uh, overly religious aunt, Jeez. the sister of Charlie's mom, and a sadistic uncle uh, until uh, his mother got out of prison. And when she got out of prison, he describes it as the happiest day of, of his life. She got out when he was eight. But his this uncle- is a mother who sold him for beer. Yeah. That's how bad his uncle was. That when she got out, he's like, thank God, maybe I'll be sold for whiskey this time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the reason why his uncle was sadistic and his, uh, he... And the first day of school, apparently Charlie was a bit of a sensitive child, a bit of a crybaby. Oh. Uh, so his uncle was uh, of the mindset of, you're going to be a little crybaby? I'm going to treat you like a crybaby. You're going to be a little girl? I'm going to treat you like a little girl. So on Charlie's first day of school, his uncle dressed him in girls' clothing. Uh, and, and I just want to say, I want to say that that's actually a very progressive thing for his uncle to do. <laughs> and I don't believe the gender norms need to be uh, necessarily applied to yeah, children where did at a young grow age. Up in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at these um, kids. Oh, the, uh, oh, what I will say though, they, they talk uh, a bit of an interview with his aunt, and his aunt was like, "Charlie hated going to church, but." He loved to sing. What a beautiful <laughs> voice Charlie had. Right. It's amazing. Oh, my God. So after uh, she got out of prison at eight, they traveled around the country for a few years, uh, just bouncing from man to man. She tells us, uh, she, uh, Charlie tells a story that her mom, t- uh, that one night uh, her mom hit a guy in the head, like the badass guy in town. He grabbed her ass. She hit him over the head with a bottle of whiskey, and she said, Charlie, we got to go. And immediately they were out of town. And oh, that was the man. life that Charlie lived for a few years. But man, but that's he called that's called loved it. That's called an Alabama wedding. <laughs> if you grab a chick's ass and she smashes a beer over your head, you're married. <laughs> you owe her money. The other thing too is is that uh, Charlie during this time was also becoming like he call even called himself like a bit of a rambunctious child. Is that he has been developing criminal skills, right. basically watching his mother throughout yeah. this whole process. And like every one of her new boyfriends would all kind of say the same thing. I can't be with this woman and her creepy kid. Creepy she kept kid. calling him the, like either creepy kid or like kid who's like like guy like sneaky. sneaking around. Yeah, sneaky, sneaky was another word that he used. Because he would go in and he would pickpocket and stuff. So basically, Charlie, Charlie Manson is the perfect mixture of all of the skills it takes to be a criminal. Oh, I thought you were going to say a newsie. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he sound like a little British kid who's about to jump on a soapbox and try to sell the yes, papers? He's, a, he's more of a chimney sweep yeah. than anything, but... So, Which we'll find out about when we go to the UK. We'll have to watch our wallets, won't we, boys? <laughs> yes. Yes, um, we will. But really, I mean, you know, Charlie, at this point, you can still claim that he's innocent. He's just a child following his mother's lead. I'm sure she's like, steal that guy's money. You know, yeah. I'm going to blow him. You steal his money. It was kind of it's kind of sweet. A little bit. In a weird way. You yeah. know? It's a little kind of, yeah, it's kind of Harold and Maudie. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. So after a few years, she gets tired of him when he's 12. Uh, she goes to a judge, says, listen, I can't take care of this kid anymore. Put him somewhere else. They send him to a boy's home. He escapes from the boy's home. The mother rejects him, says, no, listen, I don't want you. Go back to the boy's home. And so after he's there for a little bit, uh, so he, uh, after his mother rejects him, he goes back, he escapes, and he goes to Indianapolis uh, to live on the streets. So this kid, Charlie Manson, at 12, he's living on 
on the streets of Indianapolis trying to survive. Why would he go to Indianapolis? Closest uh, to, closest city. Okay. Because yeah. he, he <laughs> yeah. said in uh, Manson's own words that he went to Indianapolis because he knew that, that it's much easier to hide from the law. Uh, in a big city than out in the country, yeah, which is also right. just like a ridiculous thought for a twelve-year-old to be able to have. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He knew that, but he was living on his own yeah. for like six months. He like was was stealing whatever money he could and living in a tiny apartment. He was doing better than you, Kissel. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> twelve years old. I can't believe he was able to get he renters had insurance. Own, he had his own place. Wow, all the ladies <laughs> coming through car. there. He was driving, huh? Yeah, well, it was a stolen car. Well, uh, nonetheless. But he had a car. He was, God, uh, this is adorable. Yeah, it is kind of adorable. He's kind of an adorable man. This is the, what the like movie... Charlie's Day Out. <laughs> Charlie's Day Out. He's like that problem child kid. He's just, uh, yeah, man, what a, what a hell of a 12-year-old. And exactly what the problem child kid would have grown up into. Yeah. Yeah. If he wouldn't, if it wouldn't have ended in murder, Charlie would. Charlie Manson would have been a really fun guy to talk to at the bus stop. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then you also, like, at the end of it, you're like, are you ever even, are you waiting for a bus? No, 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 no. Uh, no I'm afraid of buses. Yeah. Yeah. Legally oh. allowed on a bus. So, uh, yeah, he uh, go, goes back to reform school. Also, like, if this was, like, 1880, he could have been president. You know, oh, yeah. How many presidents also started like this? So many. Uh, so he uh, goes back to school. He escapes with wire cutters at one point and leads 35 juveniles. Uh, delinquents out onto the streets of Indianapolis. Most of them got away. He got picked up two hours later in a stolen car, and right. that's when they send him to, I think, one of the places that <laughs> fucked him up the most, the Indiana School for Boys. Yeah, uh, It was a reform school, a state school, and he was abused by correctional officers and fellow inmates for three full years. He said that the only good thing he could say about it is that they had an impressive front lawn. They must have. The Little Rascals comes to mind how did he even reach the pedal what is he he's like five four as an adult when yeah. he was 12 he had to be like four eight yeah he had to he was a tiny guy that's another thing he's that people don't realize he's so he small was five five oh yeah. my goodness my sister is the best gift giver i've ever met of any person it's Jackie zabrowski she shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and christmases i have no idea how she does it i don't know how she do it but guess what she always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, 
you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Yeah, we do. Do you love saving money? Oh my God, you bet. Then Philo may be your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. That's amazing. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles. It's just a better way to watch TV. Get with it, people. Philo has an unlimited DVR for one year. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. Philo allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams, meaning that your children or significant other can't ruin your queue. Never miss a minute of shows like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to get involved with it. And it's an extravaganza. You're going to love it. With Philo, you can start watching in seconds for less money and less hassle. Try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash left. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash L-E-F-T to get 50% off your first month. Uh, uh, and so there's also what's interesting about this this time period, too, is that he keeps calling back to this time period as being like basically Indiana School for Boys was so rough mm -hmm. that it um, it set several patterns where it made and every, every other prison that he served time in feel like a vacation home. Yeah. And right. so it was easy for him to do time. And it also sh basically showed he's been kind of given a bad hand. Charlie was given a bad hand since the very beginning. Like he was like, he's grew up as a kid, basically forced to be a criminal. And now that past is going to haunt him through this whole thing and basically set up his whole fucking life for him. Because basically he walked into the Indiana school for boys with a reputation as being a hellraiser. And so the guys at, who ran the Indiana school for boys were decided we're going to beat the fucking hellraiser out of Charlie. Yeah. One of them uh, picked up um, Ross Silage from the dairy floor because apparently they had a dairy there. He yeah. spit tobacco juice in it in the saw in the silage, and then he shoved it up Charlie's ass, saying, "I got him lubed, so fuck him if you get the chance." Ah, the old seventeen hundred proctology exam. <laughs> yeah, because apparently that whole thing is is that it be, the officers of the Indiana School for Boys would get snitch kids. Basically, get snitch kids to rat out other kids that were going to do that were doing bad things, and then they would turn their back. The counselors would then turn their back when those kids raped the other boys. Right. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Snitches get stitches, but in this situation, they got extra cheese sandwiches. So <laughs> yes. sometimes you get extra cheese. <laughs>
So it's sick. And he also, I mean, and he also definitely had retribution. Uh, one of his rapists, he actually almost beat him to death with an iron bar and then framed one of his other rapists for the crime. That's brilliant. Yeah. 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 I mean, he definitely got some revenge in there. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, you put a laugh track underneath his life. This is funny. <laughs> this is, this is you humorous. Know, it, it's technically like the story of Arthur Fonzarelli. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hitting jukeboxes, getting to play. Technically, theft of services, by the way. <laughs> so at 16, Charlie escapes, makes it as far as Utah. And so they take him out of the state reformatory and then throw him into a federal reformatory, which he describes as much nicer. Yeah. Apparently, there's a lot more oversight in a federal reformatory. Sure. Uh, so that's, you know, he's moving on up as far as the federal, pr- as far I mean, as the prison system nicer goes. Nicer literally just means that no one puts silage mixed with t- chewing tobacco up his ass. Up exactly. Ass. So yeah. anything also, is nicer. He, yeah. I just he skipped a- all the different various, like, you know, they forced him to work dairy. He was beaten with a cane like every other day for like, was for any offense. Yeah. And then the guys who ran the dairy was this sick fuck who would just like, would work him really hard to the point where his welts from the being caned were were bleeding and like actively while he was doing the work and he would have the boys come and smack his ass yeah. as he was working. Oh, these corrections officers are total sadists and psychopaths and pedophiles. They all they're all they would have loved to to be in that Franklin Credit Union. That's for damn sure. Yep. He yeah. said that uh he had strong sexual urges, urge, urges that got him into trouble from time to time. He said at this point the only climaxes he he's had was from quote jacking off or sticking some punk in the butt. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah, he said uh do you want to It's weird though. It doesn't he seems to transcend. We'll get into it. He doesn't seem to be gay. It's like a different kind no. of thing it's a weird yeah it's a weird thing like he just it's just one of those things where it's sort a hole's of, a hole this sort of like the michael what? che uh joke uh who's now the snl weekend update guy where he talks about how you can you can't catch gay you can only catch gay in prison yeah uh, and that seems to be what happened to him yeah he uh well it's also i mean think about it he had spent the, his formative years from the ages of 12 to 16 into in boys homes where it's right. like basically he was jammed into these places where all of these kids were sexually developing and they were just like i'm gonna bugger gonna bugger it yeah uh, like all over each other and that's got to be dangerous place. i mean they say that this even happens uh there's this open secret in uh british uh refor- or uh, boarding schools that those kids there they you know generally fuck each other with a fair regularity that's not a and secret they- <laughs> yeah yeah man that's why i just want to see the secret files of the damn dumbledore <laughs> i want to go over to hogwarts and see them tiny wizards all crawling all over each other coming on each other's yeah. cone hats and sticking the wands up and soid themselves yeah you don't want to activate that wand though it turns your prostate into a gerbil <laughs> that would be terrible. Yeah, that Jimmy Seville has nothing on that Dumbledore. That would be crazy. Yeah. So it's a matter of record that uh, Charlie was caught having sex with a younger inmate while he held a razor to his throat. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, a lot of people say that was one of Charlie's first violent acts. Uh, that that was when he had been pushed too far. But here's what Charlie says about that particular incident. I was accused of holding a razor blade. This kid sprawled. I screwed him in the ass. Truth was, the guy was an uncover queer and he wanted a dick in his ass. And I didn't mind doing it to him. We both agree that if we got caught, he could say I forced him. We got caught. <laughs> Sounds like it, Charlie. So you're sticking with your story that he was an undercover queer. <laughs> like yeah. they, the, the gay community sent him in there to bust the <laughs> to bust you. <ya. laughs> yeah, he said, uh, I didn't have any respect for a joint punk then and I don't now. 
No, he does not. No, he does not. No, he doesn't. No, and he should have because they deserve it. <laughs> God, five foot five, man. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing that he was able to survive at all in these situations, really. Yeah. He said well, that. Well, that's what he, he says, talks about that all the time, honestly. Yeah. He said because of his size, it's he had to do everything to an extreme. Yeah. Absolutely. He had to always show people that he was fucking nuts in order to. And basically, he even says it in this thing, and, it, and it's mm-hmm. true. It's kind of like that Kurt Vonnegut quote of being like, you know, we are who we pretend to be, but you must be careful who you pretend to be. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. it's like he basically created this image for himself that he was this crazy, like, fucking maniac. And then eventually, begin to believe it yeah right right and he was in some sort of involuntary institution from from the ages of 12 to 19 right like he was either in a boys home or in a reformatory from 12 to 19 now when i was 12 to 19 i was looking up to like chris farley uh john (laughs) starks what were some of his idols uh he was looking up to any criminal that happened to be in front of him that could give him any hint into what life could be like for a person like him. And these were like his teen beat. These, these were, were like, these, these like, were his idols. Like right. everyone else Tiger looks up beat, to rather. sports stars. Right. He looked up to criminals, like members of the Ma Barker gang. Like he right. just looked up to these people like they were the end all be all. Mm-hmm. Like th- this is who he idolized himself after. Right. So 1955, he married the first woman he slept with uh, and moved to California. Of course, he had And the way he God. describes her too, she's like she wasn't much of a piece. But I have you know, her silky smooth skin was better than any rough bars of any prison I've ever been in. <laughs> Baby, you're you know, better than prison bars. Oh, Charlie. Oh, I love you. Uh, I can't. I would just love the moment where he's bringing the razor up to her neck and she says, Shh, don't. <laughs> hey, I don't got to do you're that. You're as ugly as a dog and you got a hair on your lip and you got, a, you got a butt the size of Mississippi. But I will say is I will Sleep with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. So of course. Thank yeah. you, Charlie. <laughs> Can't believe it. So of course, yeah. Well, actually, uh, what you guys just said—that exact thing will happen later on. Oh, very. Like good. that mm-hmm. exact oh, yes. situation, yeah. right up to the copious body hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he has no skills uh, outside of prison life. So of course, he returns right to crime, gets the woman pregnant, and uh, at 21, he gets arrested for car theft, sentenced to five uh, years at Terminal Island, which he called "quote a paradise." He loves it. Huh? Saying- the Indiana School for Boys made everything else easy yeah, for right. him. Everything. So while he was in jail, uh, his wife took his son and left him for a truck driver. He was, And he was never in contact with his first wife or his son ever again. Uh, and, of course, he wanted to be – he wanted to go straight. You know, while he was in family, I'm going to fucking get my life together. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get a good job. Of course, the wife and kid leave, so he says, fuck it. I'm going to become a pimp. But you, you learn go. this a lot with him is that he has a lot of these moments, which I think is very common in people that are lifelong criminals, where he basically is being like, I'm going to go straight. I'm doing this. I'm going on the straight and narrow. I'm right. going to be I'm going to be a good citizen from here on out. And then it takes the it's just really the tiniest reasons to him to go like, well, fuck life. Fuck. These it's not even a tiny fuck. reason. He didn't. First of all, in this reform school, they didn't exactly teach him anything. No. And, no. Uh, and I'm, I'm which I'm, I'm shocked, you know. <laughs> Um, the the U.S. reform system is so unbelievably educational, but um, but there is no choice. What's his other option? No, he, he can't no get a job making groceries. Do. Yeah, what's he, this weird foot five foot five guy walks into your uh, Costco? Can I touch the produce? <laughs> no, get out of here. Go steal a car. Yeah, so, you know I could use my mind to rearrange these peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, he has a dream of being a pimp, and he gets out and he becomes a pimp. And I love how he described it. He described uh, being a pimp as being the bank president of crime. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's how low Charlie's expectations were. I think the bank were. president is the bank president of crime. Yeah, I, I think so. But you know what? He was, fu- And this is not surprising, uh, considering what became of his female followers later on in life. He was a fucking amazing pimp. In what way? How was he so good? He was uh, people because he would ask all this these this advice as to how to use this like how do you turn a girl out and like to other pimps in jail and it was like what you gotta do is you gotta get in that girl's head make her love you more than anybody else tell mm-hmm. her that you love her more than anybody else and how love your is how deep and powerful your love is compared to anybody else's and then tell her to sell her pussy on the street. Oh, <laughs> wow. like that was the advice. And so he And it worked. Just, I think that's how Simon it, Cowell treated Kelly Clarkson after she won American <laughs> Idol. But he he was talking about with his cuz he was like basically this like pimp philosophy about how like you could like we, all women want to do it. Yeah, and it's right. so fucked up because according to Charles Manson he had a girlfriend as soon as he got out of jail and they were out of money and he was just like baby 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 I've been hustling and stealing for us. But I don't think we're making ends meet. It's like, will you sell your pussy for me? <laughs> right, right, right. And she was like, sure thing, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. You mm-hmm. bet. And, but the way he also described it, he's like, man, I was sitting in that car. I felt so bad about it. And she came down and. Boy, she loved it. She loved every she second. Just had, she just it had a great time. He's with like it. a developer just, who walks around and he's like, I'm going to build a building there. And he sees the future, he sees money wherever he looks. Also, it's also Charles Manson's fucking perspective yeah. that, like, women just loved it. That the women were so happy to be prostitutes. For they him. were crying and crying and crying. They must have loved it. <laughs> so uh, he um, unfortunately transported some girls across state lines oh. to take them to some conventions. So he's some want- conventions? Convent- were they going to Comic-Con? Yeah, yeah, what the were they conventions. Yeah, conventions. it's like the fucking Republican National Convention. Remember when it came to New York uh-huh. and there was a flood of prostitutes in in the town. Oh, okay. That. That's oh, what he was You remember, Ben. I remember, yeah. yeah. I was one of the prostitutes. <laughs> so, uh, Charlie, he goes down to Mexico City where he says he partied and mingled with bullfighters who taught him how to use a cape and a sword. Uh, he took mushrooms. They didn't understand a damn word he said. <laughs> so, yeah, man, you don't understand what I'm talking about with squeeze shoes. <laughs> just, him just flapping a cape and a bull and they're all just staring at him just being mm. like, you've got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bull scared of me, man. <laughs> I, I can talk a bull all right so, all right will you please go so yeah so you will stop our mexican act if you please leave okay <laughs> we're all just brown americans so please get out of here. so he hooks up with some yaki indians get some mushrooms from them and he mm-hmm. develops a reputation oh, wow. as a real tough gringo which brings the federales down on him they send him back to the u.s he was sentenced you, to 10 years in prison. The oh, story with Yaki's Indians is so stupid. It's a, <laughs> he's just like, they're like, yeah, they, they, everybody said, oh, better not go to those Yaki Indians. That's the only way you can get mushrooms from the Yaki Indians. But they hate white people. So I was like, oh, I'll show you. I walk right up to them Yaki Indians. And they're like, who are you? Why here? Please leave. And he's like, I'm, I'm your friend. I'm your buddy. Yeah, I'm your <laughs> muscles, man. It's like, mushrooms are for spiritual exercise. Please leave, tiny white. No, no, man, no, you and me. And then he was just like, 
And so it's like, I wanted to show them I had a gun for trade. So I pulled a gun out of my pants and I pointed the gun in that Indian's face. And he was like, no, please do not shoot. We'll give mushrooms. And he's like, no, no, man, it's for you. It's for you. <laughs> and I put the gun in his hand and then he took, he grabbed the hand and then apparently the Indian took the gun, shoved it into Manson's stomach and pulled the trigger like five times. Yeah. Like no hesitation. <laughs> yeah. Just was like, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. And then when it clicked, it was empty. It was like, click, 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 click. And Manson like just smiled at him and the Yaki Indian was just like, you crazy, brave white man. Come brave. Do mushrooms with us. <laughs> Come, let us trip the light fantastic together. God, it's amazing. He transcended uh, sexual orientation, race, all with crazy. Yeah. All He's of the crazy. We just got all these new Dark Side of the Moon vinyls, and we hear they are extra cool if you play backwards. That is brilliant. <laughs> Look at our velvet painting of bull riders. You will love them. <laughs> is it not trippy as balls? <laughs> Very cool, tiny white man. Please, let us pause and go to Gadzooks for more black lights. Yeah, you never see a Native American at Gadzooks. Why is that? They should be there more. <laughs> so uh, Charlie gets sent back to prison. He gets sent back to prison, a 10-year sentence, uh, and he starts looking back on his life, falls into a deep depression. He starts studying all kinds of different things. He starts studying Islam, psychology, hypnotism, and surprisingly enough, the one thing that spoke to him more than anything else, Scientology. That makes sense. He's crazy. <laughs> He's an insane and person. And also... Scientology is how he picked up several members of the Manson family. Yeah. Is that they were people that were already interested in. Because we've talked about it a little bit. We have to do a whole episode about Scientology. Oh, and we're going to. We're definitely going to. But it started as sort of a street philosophy where people were really selling it on the street. I guess they're doing it now the same way. But it was like mm. it was kind of like a hip thing yeah. if you knew about Dianetics. Yeah. Uh, all, the, all the stars were doing it immediately. That was L. Ron Hubbard's big uh, trick. I mean, it was a brilliant move. Yes, it was. I think he said a star is equal to 100,000 people, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so he goes through all these different philosophies. But the thing that he finally decides on that's going to change his life, the one thing that he's going to dedicate his life to, his music. Yes. And what good music he created. It's all right. It, it, that's why I said good. I said it was good. But yeah. it just sounds like he became such a fucking dickhead about his music immediately. <laughs> right. Because yes. he's all just like, my music was my passion. I played music everywhere I went. I didn't care what people said. I showed them my music. As soon as I met them, I was like, oh, you got to hear me play the guitar. And can then you imagine being dragged into mm. a cell with Charles Manson? <laughs> A no. baby Charles Manson. Just staring at you as he plays the fucking guitar and you have to go like... It's good. <laughs> you gotta go like that too, otherwise you are dead. Yeah. So Charlie, and this is another central part of yeah. Charlie Manson and what's behind the Manson murders. So John Douglas, who wrote the book Manhunter, which is one of the most famous uh, true crime books that's ever been written. Uh, this guy was part of the behavioral sciences unit, and he actually believed, and I take this guy at his word, uh, that Charlie's main motivation in all of this was to be a rock star. Was yes. to be a musician. That was the driving force behind everything that he did. He literally was had like the early because the, technically the Manson family was like Twitter followers. He thought that like, <laughs> yeah. but he thought that having this group like when we'll get to that point. But like, he was like, oh, now I'm in. Once yeah. I, I already have my fucking hot chicks that are mm. you know Manson level hot chicks, and they are they were pretty hot. Like, yeah. Uh, Squeaky is hot. Squeaky's super fucking yeah. hot. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so was uh, Lindsay. Lindsay Van Houten is also very attractive. Yeah, it's Leslie all you Van Houten. Need, all Leslie. you need is two, and then the other girls just kind of dance around, but then you think, oh, they're all hot. No, it started with a librarian, <laughs> but we'll get to that here in a bit. Yeah, yeah. It started <laughs> with a librarian with copious body hair. So oh, yeah. we'll, get, <laughs> we'll get to that later. Uh, but he, while he was in prison, <laughs> he learned a lot about guitar from a guy named Alvin Creepy Carpus, uh, who was convicted of 14 murders uh, while he was a part of the Ma Barker gang in the 30s. Oh, all right. And he was a very good guitar player? He was a great guitar. He played steel guitar, mostly, you know, Ooh. like country music. Yeah, so yeah. Charlie learned a lot of folk from him. And another important thing to remember about him and his music, Charlie was in prison from 1960 until 1967. He fucking missed the 60s. Uh, like the so he's vast, making up for time. The vast majority of it, like his music taste was stuck in the 1950s. He was playing that kind of stuff. And of course, he learns all this stuff from Creepy Carpus, uh, which is oh, more yeah, like his kind stuff of country is from the type 30s. Stuff. So yeah. it's all like, hey there, Mr. Biscuit, can you put <laughs> the shoes in my wallet? Oh, Mr. Biscuit. <laughs> like all the worst songs. At least it wasn't like the 20s, because there's no way you can get all those tubas and uh, all those other big band music instruments in there. No, That's you, tough. The guitar is a perfect prison instrument. Yeah, it it's really nice. is. Yeah. yeah, it's not as annoying as the as the harmonica. Oh, uh, no. Ugh. I always had to play that, uh, what was that thing called there? Not the flute, the white trash flute. Uh, the recorder? The recorder. <laughs> God damn, 330-pound Ben Kissel with a tiny, tiny recorder. <laughs> you can leave now, Ben. Okay, thank you. I'll never learn the recorder. <laughs> smash this recorder. I did smash it. <laughs> so in June of 66, he was transferred back to Terminal Island. And Terminal Island at this point, a lot of music. I mean, this is a time of, you know, Johnny Cash live at Folsom Prison. This was a time when musicians would regularly go to prisons to try out new material and right. to try out new band members. Right. This so. happened quite a bit. And this happened up until this was still going on in the 80s or in the 70s. If you watch this great documentary called Heartworn Highways, you see David Allen Coe going to a prison uh, to play for all of these guys. And of course, what you all know, these guys, all of his friends that he was previously in prison with. <laughs> he did know a couple guys. He <laughs> I'm was playing sure with. he did. Yeah. yeah. He so Manson did. was probably just like, they're all coming to me. Yeah. I'm the smart one. I'm already here. He he legitimately thought that. He was just like, ah, this is the best place for me, man. Yeah. Just coming through here, you know, it's like nothing. No, definitely what they want to hire is a five foot four, like tiny, wiry, crazy eyed man who's right. crazed by the fucking steel guitar. <laughs> so at seven years after Charlie got there, he they release him from prison. Only problem was Charlie didn't want to go. Like he, he wanted actually, to stay he, in prison. He asked them, like, can I stay? Please let me stay. So sad. I'm so happy here. Because all he was doing was writing and performing music. He said that performing music right. was the only time he was ever confident in himself. The first time in his life that he was ever confident in himself. Oh, it so wasn't he when was, he had the razor blade to the guy's throat as he was butt-banging him? I don't think No confidence there? I don't, there? Think, I don't think there was much confidence. It wasn't there, a okay. confidence move. Yeah, it seems like mean, a confident <laughs> move to me. I, I don't know. So they gave him 35 bucks and a suitcase of old clothes. Uh, and at this point, he had spent more than half of his life behind bars. And his prison conduct sheet at the time of his release said, and this is a, uh, this is a uh, perspective of Charlie that Charlie doesn't necessarily have of himself at this time. His prison conduct uh, sheet said, he has a pattern of criminal behavior and confinement that dates to his teen years. This pattern is one of instability, whether in a free society or a structure 
structured institutional community, little can be expected in the way of a change in his attitude, behavior, or mode of conduct. Oh, man, they didn't mention my music. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yes, and he is a... I mean, he's a very promising singer-songwriter mm. who should definitely go seek out famous record producers in Los Angeles. There's also no Absolutely. way that he's going to help kill Sharon Tate. So send him free. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets out in 1967. It's the summer of love, and right. Charlie's like right smack dab in the middle of it. And like I said— The summer of love had no idea what was coming for it. That was That's what's so awesome. So- I, I do love Charlie for period too because this in the later 60s as it was heading towards the 70s that the the San Francisco scene or like uh, the whole hippie movement the was already Ashbury beginning scene. to take a turn for the right. Oh, everyone yeah. yeah, after 5 years of doing mushrooms every damn day, your brain starts to go crazy and the society crumbles around you. Yeah, the summer of love was the peak. The rise and fall of the hippie music or the hippie movement, the right. true one is fast. It's like real fucking fast. Yeah, it you rises can only and trip falls. For so long. It rises and falls in a period of about 6 years or so it doesn't last very long uh so charlie he doesn't he missed all the 60s but he just heard that hate ashbury was the happening scene down in san francisco so he goes down there shines shoes for a while and he said that a 15 year old kid turned him onto the scene (laughs) i mean did they even wear shoes he's like hey there um wild-eyed crazy man (laughs) you ever heard of a band called the grateful dead (laughs) check them out they're they're Pretty good. Yeah, shine, also, shine my. You gotta do like what you gotta do when you see them is do this stuff called acid. I'm not really sure. I'm 15. You know, I'm just trying to go to school. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be a president. My name is Bob Doe. Robert Doe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at this, uh, uh, yeah. Untold story. Yep, yep, yep. And he actually, Charlie Manson, did actually take his first hit of acid at a Grateful Dead concert. All right. And he said he loved it. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Time really of did. his life. So he was one of those guys around Hate ashbury that would just wander around playing his music for anyone that would listen. He'd go into <laughs> bars and ask the bartender. He's like, hey, could I just play for some tips? And if nobody gave him any money, he'd put on his loudest voice and say, I just got out of prison, and me and my two partners had come by this place to rob it. I'd talk my partners into letting me try to earn a few honest dollars instead of robbing the place. Now, if some of you bastards don't put a few dollars into this empty hat so that I ain't a liar, I don't know how long I can keep my two partners from walking through that door with their shotguns. And he said... It was surprising how effective those words were. <laughs> yes, technically, Mr. Manson, that is robbery, actually, at this point now. I swear to God, everything that Charlie Manson says sounds like a fucking murder fist sketch. Yeah. It really does. It really, I mean, that's what's so... He was Because he has the same logic. He has the same murder fist logic, right. which is just being like, it's like, how do I... Uh, I gotta be an honest man. What am I gonna do? I gotta crime my way to it. <laughs> right. That's crazy. He took acid at the Grateful Dead concert. Everyone up there for the Grateful Dead is just having a great time thinking about peace and love, and they don't even realize they're entertaining the person who was going to uh, end their entire movement. Yeah. That's, that's weird. When you're an entertainer, when you're in a band or a comedian or a sketch group, you never know who's in the crowd. You might be making uh, a serial rapist or a serial killer just love you. Like Murder Fist, <laughs> I'm sure after a Murder Fist sketch show, there was at least one person who goes up to Henry and be like, man, you're my favorite comedian. You're so goddamn funny. And in three weeks, we're going to read in the paper he had a bunch of uh, babies uh, in a cement box underneath his apartment. <laughs> Please, last podcast on the left, listeners, if you are having any thoughts of 
with murder or anything criminal, please seek help. Seek help. Seek help. But I will say, I think that anybody within a five-foot radius of Charlie knew that he was going to be a murderer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. knew that he was going to be bad, especially at that concert when yeah. he was just, like, dancing, like, a little too hard. <laughs> with a touch of gray, you know? <laughs> so eventually, Charlie made his way up to UC Berkeley uh, just to play a few songs, uh, and he met— Oh, he didn't enroll? He's not going to go. No, he's, he's not <laughs> going to Berkeley? Oh. Not going to Berkeley. And he meets the very first member of the Charlie Manson family, Mary Bruner, a.k.a. Mary Ochi, Och, Mother Mary, Mary Manson, Linda D. Manson, and Christine Marie Ukes. That's the one that's the <laughs> name that I don't, I don't know where that name comes from. I don't Utes. know how you get the nickname of Christine Marie Ukes. Yeah, Ukes <laughs> sounds like something that would go with a southern breakfast. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. And isn't that what matters most? Better writing means a stronger impact. Grammarly works across 500,000 apps and websites. You can't escape it. Like the ever-pervasing octopus of malice that is the NSA. Grammarly is watching your every move, making sure that you're doing it right. Data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly, into the very essence of its nature. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner, and it helps your team make their point and move faster, because that's the key there. Work smarter, not harder. Yes, Grammarly, you know how many times it saves me from writing a long, rambling, one-sentence email at 4 o'clock in the morning to my beloved employees? Makes me sound like someone who doesn't just have a BA in theater. All right. I was taught how to be a tree. I was not taught how to survive as an adult. All right. My job was to cry in front of a weird Southern man who just told me all sorts of weird stuff about my body. I didn't learn how to write. So thank you, Grammarly, because you're making me 
the boss I gotta be to motivate my team to get out there. Oh, man, you don't want to mess with them. Thanks, Grammarly. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. You know, all the Manson family, they all had their straight alias. Well, at least most of them did. Uh, right. They had that name, like, because they got arrested a lot for a having lot. false ID. Right, like, right. Uh, yeah, that they would just throw around. Uh, and they did, but they all did get arrested. I'm going to be Starcrust Manson and uh, Catherine Blubbard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, hello. My name is Robert Moontree Pemberton. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Pemberton. <laughs> so, Mary Bruner, she was a librarian who had just moved to California from Wisconsin. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. Well, that she, explains the hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She didn't have many friends. Uh, and Wisconsin so, women are beautiful. They are beautiful. I love every single one of them. And if you're you're yeah. from Wisconsin. You are for me. <laughs> <laughs> so Charlie talks his way into letting her stay or letting him stay at her apartment. After a few weeks, they started sleeping together. Uh, and as Charlie described it, it's just a beautiful courtship. But this is actually kind of romantic. A few weeks. I mean, he didn't aggressively sexually assault her or yeah. anything. Like, no. I mean, well, that's what Charlie Honestly, said. He said like that uh, he he said that uh, you know everybody paints me is coming out and immediately starting to fuck all these women. But I tell you what, it was quite a few days before I got my balls out of hock. Uh, <laughs> but then he didn't not exactly romantic. Literally four we, days. Yeah, yeah four days. Because he really yeah. had his he had his fucking way with women, and it's true. I said I, I think honestly, you, he was just. He was he was good on the bush. Yeah, he was good yeah. on that bush. Well, you know, in fact, he's uh, went on about the uh, the first sexual experience between him and Mary Bruner in Manson. In his own words, he goes on about it for three pages. Three pages. It is three pages all... of erotic literature. It's is it a it's like a Fifty Shades of Grey situation? No, it's very no. very. It, it's like uh, very sensual. It's uh -huh. very delicate. He talks right. about how he learned how to please a woman. It's all about pleasing the woman and how to go on a uh, on a journey with her and this well, is if we could please get uh, one of our amazingly talented last podcast on the left uh fans who can create the graphic art i would love to see manson's face on the on the cover of those romantic novels <laughs> instead of fabio or these other big buff it's, uh, models it's really true uh, and again up to this point charles manson kind of a cool guy like he's kind right. of yeah. he's a mess and he's like a very like he's got to be rough to have a fucking conversation with but he's got a cool pass right he he eats that tush 
twenty four seven. Everyone he knows was on how to drugs. talk. Good talk. Yeah, yeah, he, he does, he'd man. Be fun to hang out with. Yep. Yeah, now was he upfront with his criminal past to these people? Absolutely. Or? Every, so he yeah. was. No, that's yeah. how he got them. Yeah, that's how that, he got right. people. That's how he was there. a cool dude. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm a criminal. I've been in prison. You know, I know the ways. Establishment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and but he said that that experience taught him that quote sex is more than a stiff dick and a hot box. That's yes, nice. Which I I just think that's that's a great thing to teach your kids. Yep, sex is but more. This than is a, also mm-hmm. this is where he also sort of began his fucking guru rap. Yeah, was during this time. Was that like while they were having sex and it, he would just be like, "You are God. I am God. We are all our own gods. We are made of the universe." And it was like started this thing which was just like awesome during sex. Yeah, and then yeah. he started realizing I can use this all the time. Yeah, that's exactly the way that Pastor Joel Osteen started his ministry as well, and now he's selling out Yankee Stadium. So think yeah, about that. but it started with like a four-year-old boy yes. telling him that you are Clifford the Red Dog. I am <laughs> Clifford the Red Dog. We're both Clifford the Red Dog, which is kind of yeah. gross. He also brings the 16-year-old girl named Darlene into the mix, who doesn't really stick around with the family all that long. Uh, but he did. He loved the power that all this get, gave him. That right. he was a, he would fuck Darlene during the day and then fuck Mary at night. And the power that he was able to have over these women, that how he was able to essentially hypnotize both of them, uh, he fucking loved it. It gave him the confidence to deal with people. Right, in a non-prison say, uh, se- in a non-prison setting. Sure, I, sure. Which we're also going to see here too, are the seeds that are planted. That, like, honestly, of all of the people that you can compare Charles Manson to, I would compare him to like Hitler. I would yeah. say that he. It's the same thing because oh, he's got inferiority. No, no, I'm not saying I, I'll, on I'll scale. agree with it. No, not on a scale, yeah. but as far as personality goes, fairly similar. He's got an inferiority complex that right. it expresses itself. In the way that it did, where because it's all about control and power, and nothing is, and because his sexual desires are being satisfied, like when Hitler had like Jewish girls pee all over him, you know, no, your like grandfather, dump. yeah, your like grandfather the- was feeding him Gatorade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my granddad was on Gatorade duty. I think that's actually the, that's where it all began. Vata like- boy. Vata boy. Right. Like many oh, technologies, it started ju- oh, in Germany. Just, oh, she's getting so parched. I can tell from her urine. Yeah. <laughs> Haterade there. Classic. Yeah. And Charlie, I mean, he fully admits, he said at this time, he said, I was aggressive, adventurous, and felt like I understood the minds of most of the kids that flooded the streets. Like he knew it's like, all right, I get these right. kids because these kids are, they're disaffected. They, they feel like they're rejected by society. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, they're searching for something. A lot of them are runaways. Right. Uh, a lot of them have criminal pasts. Uh, but he, uh, not long after this relationship, he hooks up with this reverend named Dean Morehouse who gave him a ride while he was, uh, hitchhiking. And this guy, uh, Morehouse gives Charlie a piano. Uh, and Charlie took the piano and traded it for a cheap Volkswagen van. And so at this point, huh. the Manson family is mobile. Bruner quits her job, uh, and they start to just drift around California, uh, meeting other women. I think it would have been cooler if he would have just put tires on the piano, you know, and just roll around <laughs> that. I could see the Manson family like, well, living like, like the Chuck E. Cheese group. <laughs> Slowly turns into a Snoopy like thing, <laughs> like riding the top of it. It's got like a steering wheel. Now, did anyone um, learn how to play this damn thing? Yeah, he but said. Yeah, we will see that this is. You were right here in your assessment too. It's like uh, this is what made this is what made the Manson family, quote unquote, possible. Yeah, was this fan? Yeah, it was. Uh, this is when recruitment 
could truly begin because then they had a house because this right. little Volkswagen uh, bus was their home for the next uh, about year, year and a half until they got a hold of a black school bus. Uh, so, Which is honestly, if you are looking to escape your house in uh, Wisconsin or Minnesota or some rural parts of the South, the idea of rolling around uh, the, the West Coast inside of a black school bus is fucking awesome. Yeah. And a van is like, okay, but that's a hell of an upgrade. Yeah, a van's all right. So they uh, they wandered around for a while. They wandered around uh, Southern California. Uh, they go down to L.A. where a former prison contact told him that he could uh, set him up with a producer. So uh, Charlie calls up the studio contact. Just, just Los Angeles. That's all of Los Angeles. <laughs> it is. That is like what Los Angeles is as a whole. Of just like a guy, a criminal promising you that he has connections to a record producer. And then you show up and a guy with a fucking like jukebox costume on fucking steals your wallet. Exactly. <laughs> yes, because the, the studio contact was, quote, out of town. For a few days. Yeah, he's out of town. Uh, So Charlie just, you know, they wander around L.A. where he meets a young, freckled, red-haired girl named Lynette, a.k.a. Squeaky From. Now, Lynette From is like literally, Squeaky From is a woman out of time. Yeah. She is a woman that it's just like, because we were going to do this a while ago and we never did it, but I want to, I also see that too. If there, if she existed and there was like an OK Cupid profile oh of God. Squeaky yeah. From, it would blow up. <laughs> she would, be would huge. just be exactly what you wanted. You don't, yeah. like, you know, easygoing girl looking for a good time, just mm-hmm. want somebody to stare at the stars with and, you know, and eat my pussy while calling me Jesus. Right. Squeaky From. Oh, like, yeah. Redheaded, cute, approachable. Squeaky from Innocent. oh man, I definitely would have sent a message to her on OK Cupid. Definitely would have swiped right on the old Tinder. That's well, I'm, she would have been thrilled with it, Marcus. And thank you, Judith, for photoshopping that wonderful photo saw, of me coming of me coming to the rescue of Squeaky from or uh, carrying her out of a courthouse after she made quite a mess in there. Or she was, was not building, she was know. not complicit in any of the murders, but in 1975 she did pull a gun on Gerald Ford. Ford. Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford. She pulled yeah. the gun on. The gun didn't go off. Well, uh, of course not, because it's Gerald Ford. Everything went wrong around that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Fell down constantly. The man was a goof. Yeah. And she was sentenced to life in prison for that. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah. what that would do that. So as a kid, she was a, a performer in a popular local dance group called the Westchester Lariats. Oh. Uh, in the Can you 50s? imagine being forced to go see the fucking Westchester Lariats on a Sunday? <laughs> Can you imagine just... All right, let's go see the fucking Lariat again. <laughs> I actually think people probably loved it. It's Westchester. Yeah, she was on the Lawrence Welk show. There you go. She performed at for the two. White House. Wow. For T, T, for, for two, two, and two. one, for me. God, I love this show. Just go, take off your shirt. <laughs> and here's a really interesting fact that I had no idea about. And this is another interesting thing about the Manson family is that they have a lot of connections at one point in their life to famous people. Squeaky Fromm was friends with Phil Hartman in high school. Yeah, that was insane. Yeah. The late, great Phil Hartman from SNL. Yeah. Unbelievable. That story, isn't that it, ended isn't tragically. Isn't it weird that Squeaky Fromm lived longer than Phil Hartman. <laughs> I don't want to, Henry. I don't like the joke, Henry. It's t- it's still too soon. 
Phil Hartman's psycho wife from North Dakota, cocaine fiend. That's why you can't marry someone who also wants to be famous. They get jealous. Never of your marry success. a fun person. Never. They well, under- that's what that's that's the moral of that story. Yeah. Do and blow. For a little while, it's a great time staying up all night, banging all the time, and the next thing you know, you want to go to sleep, but she doesn't, and then you die. Yeah. And so die she uses and die. the permanent alarm clock that wakes right. you up into heaven. The old revolver <laughs> to God. Uh, and of course, Squeaky, she was not a happy teenager. She worked at a canvas shop where coworkers would see her burn herself with lit cigarettes. She'd su- shoot staples into her forearms. I would have been friends with a staple with her. gun. Definitely, fr- I was friends with a girl who did that exact same thing. Yeah, I was in love with the girl in junior high school that carved Kurt into her arm. That was like the the hottest thing to me. I thought she was so cool, like Kurt Loader. No. Yeah, like yes. Kurt like Loader. Fucking Loader. Big, big, yes. M- big MTV News fan. <laughs> big MTV News. Yeah. It was actually, yeah, it was uh, Kurt Douglas is what she kept saying. And I was like, it's Kirk Douglas. And she was yeah, like, no, it's Kurt. Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> Though in high school, Squeaky, uh, she started getting rebellious, started taking uh, drugs, drinking a lot. Uh, her, she got into a, an argument with her father over the definition of a word. Uh, and so she packed her bags and left home for the final Good time. Lord, what I a powder the, keg. That must have been every dinner. Yeah. It was just oh, like, right. oh, what the fuck are we going to argue about tonight? <laughs> yeah. The word was what? father, and they uh, they disagreed with what it took to be a good one. Yes. That's sad. <laughs> so that, yeah, that was just sad, Ben, because yeah. that seems like that could be very likely what it actually was. Yeah, it was probably like, yeah. what does it mean to be a dad? He's like, I've taken care of you. And she's like, you haven't eaten me. Yo. You don't <laughs> care about me. You don't because care. Because, again, oh, a big thing you're going to see um, – uh, what we're gonna see as a pattern with all of these women too is that they, they that standard like feels uh, out of place, uh, feels like they don't have a group, feel like they they don't belong, oh, feel like they don't like you know they don't belong to their families, they don't belong to society. Right. Uh, and Charlie kind of got this ability from prison. They, they said basically it should have probably came from prison, which is like instant reading of people. Yeah. Of being able to like pick out who's vulnerable mm-hmm. and put his point of view directly in their heads. And they are ready to like join up with him. And keep in mind, they're this, lonely. Is, this is the 60s. Uh, we're still in the 60s, maybe early This is 70s. 1967. 1967. This is well before Ted Danson ran a bar called Cheers. You know, so these people didn't know where to go. They didn't have any other place to be where everyone knew their name. If you know, only this was Cheers it. existed then, yep. Sharon Tate would be making, I don't know, Devil in the Details 3 or something. Oh, bad. my. Devil in the Details is one of my favorite franchises. That is a great one. So uh, Squeaky ended up in Venice Beach. She met Manson. Of course, he charmed her. And Squeaky... God, I would love to see Manson on Venice Beach and Muscle Beach. Oh, man. Yeah, look at him. Yeah, yeah. They think, they think they're tough. They think they're strong. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> they're not strong. They don't know the strength of the mind, my friend. They don't know the trip that I'm on. <laughs> Just stares at the barbell for like 15 minutes trying to raise it. Yeah, not today. Okay. <laughs> so they she goes on the road, uh, becoming the second member of the Manson family, along with uh, uh, Mary Bruner. Of course, the uh, music contact never got in touch with Charlie, uh, so they go back weird. on the road. Uh, and this is uh, the time when Charlie start when he's introduced to the concept of commune living. Mm-hmm. which, of course, would be put into place with disastrous results later on. Uh, and this is also when he started proselytizing the young people about his philosophies. This is when, I mean, they were never really solidified all that much. Of course, there was Helter Skelter and the race war and all that type of stuff. But, but this that is, was later this on. Is that like was the rough, final. This is rough drafts. 
Like this yes. is what this is what he and he, he admitted he liked the feeling of power uh, and he may but if he you maintains see a starfish that's on top of a mailbox. You could make a wish. Seeing <laughs> also random shit like that. That's true. Yeah. That's a yes, and he maintains that he did nothing but good. Quote: Other than nailing a few underage broads who were already given their bodies to whoever they fancied. Well, that is pedophilia, cool. technically. But. Yo, no, no. He fucked a lot of underage girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And maintains in many cases that uh, they loved it. I'm sure that he does sure. maintain that. This is Charlie's yeah. story. Yes, that this is right. his definitely story. Charlie's story. Uh, yes. So the next member was uh, Patricia Krenwinkel, a.k.a. Big Patty, a.k.a. Yellow, a.k.a. Marnie Reeves. Why are you guys calling me Big Patty? Because she's big. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a bad... Can we call me Delicate Patty? Uh, like, your name's Patty. Yeah. And you're big, so you're Big Patty. Yeah. <laughs> but she was known most commonly of the family as Katie. She's the one that wrote the infamous Death to Pigs on the wall of the LaBianca's house. And She the... was just thinking about food. <laughs> <laughs> and she was also yeah, the one... Right, bacon is my favorite. <laughs> I heart bacon. Said right, death to pigs. Mm. I. She also is a. Uh, I saw an interview with her now. Like she came out. It's like it was in two thousand. Uh, I think it was in 2004. She did this interview for the New York Times, um, and I was watching it. And it's she's like she couldn't be more remorseful now. And it's just. Oh, yeah. I'm, it's so full of shit. Yeah. Every time I meet, I understand they were manipulated by Charlie, but also he was a five foot four maniac. You have to. Yeah. There has to be a lot of suspension of disbelief. Yeah. To be bought, like to, disconnect. to live with Charlie. Huge yeah. disconnect. Yeah. yeah. She was also the one who misspelled helter skelter. Yeah, which is embarrassing to yeah. say she the had least. One job. <laughs> one job. <laughs> yeah. She uh, put helter skelter. skelter. Yeah. On the fridge. Just, yeah, it's just devastating. Yeah. She's also the the longest serving female in the California penal system. How Still long has she been there for? Uh, God, she's been there since 1974, so, uh, oh 72. Quick so. math. Because yeah. she committed, she got convicted of seven murders. Yeah. And then, like, there was, it was, like, her and a group of, like, inmate, like, an inmate support group. And they're like, all right, let me just guess. Which one of us? Had, the, 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 she's a woman talking to a group yeah. of them, basically saying, like, who's been up for the parole the most times? And then Patty raised her hand. And they're all like, ha, ha. <laughs> like laughing about it, and I was like, she killed seven people. <laughs> well, Fat Patty, you know, she's funny, though. She stabbed... You're not laughing when Ted Bundy does it. It's just because she looks like a cute old grandma now, yeah. but it's like she was a fucking maniac. She stabbed Abigail Folger, the heiress to the Folger uh, coffee uh, fortune. She stabbed her so many times that the cops, when they found her mm. body, thought that her white dress was red. Well, that is the worst part of going to sleep. Folgers uh, <laughs> is the best part of waking up, but then getting stabbed to death—that is—that is—that is a different commercial. <laughs> Holy lord! So she lo suffered from low self-esteem. Oh, she was, she, she did. was teased for being overweight, and because she, she's fat, she should have lost weight. <laughs> That's what you do when you're teased for being fat. You lose weight and you succeed in life. So she also had excessive growth of body hair, uh, which was caused by an endocrine uh, condition. And she had taught Sunday school in the past, and she'd even. Thought thought at one point of becoming a nun. How is a person who proves the fact there is no God because he made her fat and hairy trying to teach kids that there is one? <laughs> I don't care about body hair, but if you have to specifically mention in every single thing you read about a person named Patty Crunchwinkle, yes. the fact that she has excessive body hair, it's that's gotta be a lot. It's you know what I mean? Like, I don't care. I don't care whether you shave or not, but it's if it's like 
hanging out of your hat. Like, if you have to shave your forehead right. <laughs> to go to the grocery store, like, I mean, like, yeah. you know, you just become a wolf woman. You're I mean, a wolf woman. Everyone yeah. has, be a wolf woman. Everyone has body hair. Everyone can jump. It doesn't mean we're Kevin Durant. You no. know, it's like this woman was like, she's like an all-star. She's a pro of body hair. Yeah. <laughs> so she met Charles Manson uh, in Manhattan Beach in 1967. Uh, Squeaky and Mary, they were already along for the ride. They were already known as Charlie's girl. Uh, and in, uh, during those famous interviews, uh, Krimwinkle said that uh, she slept with Manson the first night they met and that he was the first person that ever uh, told her that she was beautiful after they slept together. She put her head in his lap. She cr- In his lap, she cried, and she said, Charlie, you've given me a new world. Anything you do has to be right. God, it's Take a me with you wherever you go. It's a bizarro Bullshit. Charles Angels, isn't it? It really yeah. is just like well, he even Manson kind of harps on that for a right. while, just being like, "Where do you think the fucking Charles Angels, Charlie's Angels name even came from? It came from me. They've been butting off my style for years. That's my trip, man." Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So she hops in the she uh, quits her job, leaves her apartment, her car behind, hops in the van, goes down to San Francisco. And Charlie said, at this point, he said the party was mine everywhere we traveled. So he's got he is having the time of his life. Like yeah. this, I'm whole sure he is. Yeah. Lifestyle is man. I mean, because he spent half his life in fucking prison. Right. Fucking dudes. And really, again, yeah. they don't teach you anything in prison. The fact that he has gotten this much success is pretty it's, uh, he could have actually been a successful person if his mother wasn't a prostitute and he wasn't abused like, since he was you born have this tiny creepy man showing what? up with everywhere he goes with this flock of women that are all like magic women they're all like running around and like dancing and taking drugs and freely sexual and it's like that's an incredible package he's, like, lit- he's walking yeah, yeah. You see that guy pull up to your town, and he's got these cute girls with him. He's got a guitar. He's got a little glitter in his eye. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna talk to that guy. You're gonna listen to that guy, especially in 1967. If he was in Libya, he would have become the dictator. He's Gaddafi, <laughs> yes. for Christ's sake. <laughs> So next he picked up Bruce Davis, a.k.a. Jack Paul, who was briefly considered a suspect in the Zodiac killings. Oh, I One mean, of, I was also considered <laughs> a suspect yeah. in the Zodiac killings. A pulse yeah. would do it. Yeah, Manson, he liked having another dude around. Uh, and also the guys, you know, they had a lot in common. Uh, Davis, he was a musician. He had an interest in Scientology. He was an ex-con. So these guys were real fast friends. That just shows you it's just diff- It's like sometimes women can, like, he's having sex with all these women. Yeah. Even he's just like, can I get a guy? Can I just get a guy? <laughs> Can I get a dude in here so I can have a conversation? God! Can't talk to anybody about the fucking Packers, man. Yeah, Manson loved the Green Bay Packers. Huge fan. So uh, he, uh, this guy Davis, he drift in and out of the Manson family for a few years. He even would, uh, you know, he would head up the London branch of uh, the Scientology, uh, the the London Scientology branch. For all he got kicked out of that, he came back to the Mm. Manson family, and he was implicated in the murder of uh, the stuntman over on the Spawn Ranch, which of course we'll get to later. Uh, so in Nevada, uh, the crew, they got rid of the van. They picked up the old black school bus, which cool. they would drive around in for the next 18 months or so. You know, And people would drop in and out. He said at one point there were like 20 people living in this van, like just mm. cramped and packed. But he said that his music reflected that it was the happiest time <laughs> in their life. And, of course, he tries to go and give the uh, music contact another try. Uh, and uh, the producer surprisingly agreed to meet with him this time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as they were uh, heading back down there, they picked up uh, Susan Atkins, 
a.k.a. Sadie Mae Glutz, a.k.a. Glutz. Sexy Sadie, a.k.a. Donna K. Powell, Now, how come she gets to be Sexy Sadie and I'm Fat Patty? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> big Patty. You're just, Big it's, Patty. It's different names. It's how it goes. Fat Patty, it's got a fun little rhyming scheme. It's Sexy Sadie, it's kind of cool. Just, Sexy, just, it's a Beatles. You got it's a Beatles song. You love the Beatles, right? You don't want us to miss out on a Beatles song name, do you? Come on, Big Patty. Come just on. I've been trying to lose weight. You know that. <laughs> so Sudis and Atkins, she had dropped out of school and moved to San Francisco. She met a couple of escaped convicts there and hit the road with them. They committed Don't a bunch sound of- like fun women. Yeah. They do. a little unpredictable. Unpredictable. Uh, yes. Unpredictable <laughs> Manson women. Uh, so uh, they uh, hit the road. They committed a lot of armed robberies up and down uh, the West Coast. They were caught in Oregon. The men were sent to prison. Susan got probation after serving three months in jail and when she was released she went down to San Francisco uh, got work as a topless dancer it was there that she danced in a show called The Witch's Sabbath oh. which was organized by Church of Satan founder Anton LaVey wow. I would have given to have been there <laughs> yeah, that must have been, been so much fun yeah. So Susan met Manson at a party, listened to his music, fell in love with it. A few minutes later, slept with Charlie, quit her job, and joined the group. Damn. Wow. Yeah. And this is a and and so now we're coming back to the Morehouse family, which if you'll remember, Reverend Dean Morehouse was the guy that gave Charlie the piano that he was able to trade for the VW van, van, which eventually gave him the power to recruit and mm-hmm. to get the Manson family together. Apparently, Charlie wasn't done with them for Reverend Dean Morehouse's 14-year-old daughter, Ruth Ann, a.k.a. Weesh, a.k.a. Ruth Ann Hubelhurst, a.k.a. Rachel Susan Morris, was infatuated with Charlie. After the Tate murder, she said that she knew of 10 more murders other than Sharon Tate. Uh, Charlie had originally taken Ruth Ann out. Shortly after taking the piano, they'd go to the beach. She was 14. Charlie was 32. And when the first time they had sex, uh, Ruth said, but my daddy. And before she could say any more, Charlie whispered, forget Forget your daddy. I'm your daddy. Doesn't this feel too good to be wrong? Oh, and then, yeah. Com- yeah, and then comment on this, he said, you sent me all those children in the 60s who went through hell with me, yet she's the only one I took from you. All right. The only one. The yes. only one? He I considers that He didn't consider it to be wrong, but what? he also considers it, like, he does. He felt bad about that He's one. like, yeah, I did fuck a 14-year-old girl when I was 32 years old. That's gross. I, d- I did do that. that yeah. that's, that was something that I did. Yeah. Yikes. It's getting hot in here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's what the lead singer of Blur is doing right now. Probably. Damon Albarn? I have no idea who he is. <laughs> <laughs> thought about Blur for some reason. I don't know why he thought about the lead singer of Blur. I don't know. I just, what was that song they were saying? Uh, song. Woohoo. That, that one. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that song. It makes you think of having sex with underage girls. <laughs> what? No, no. <laughs> so, of course, the family came uh, for Manson threatening to kill him, but Manson pretty much just tricked Dean into taking acid and then just <laughs> sent him on his way. Just like, you know what, man? You know, this is a whole trip. You know, this is the trip that I'm on right now. And, you know, you're on the God trip and I'm on the God trip too, but everybody's God. I'm God. You're God. Your daughter's God. And God decided to have sex with God. God decided to go so to this the this will help you understand all of that. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He pretty much just talked him around in circles while he was tripping balls uh, on acid and sent him on his way. But according to Charlie, Dean came back weeks later, not to hurt him, but to get more acid. Because he loved that trip that Charlie was on. Everybody loved the acid. Gotta lick something. So it's I gotta tell you, I'm sweating on I'm sweating under my breasts, and that's the trip that I'm on. Yep. The old sweaty (laughs) under breast trip. I love that one. (laughs) So it's at this time that the family comes across an infamous 
uh, L.A. party house called the Spiral Staircase. And Sorry. apparently there were there was devil worship going on here, satanic activities, uh, animal sacrifice, blood drinking, a lot of whips and chains type of stuff, and rumors of human sacrifice. But of course, anytime yeah, yeah, satanic yeah. stuff comes around, there's going to be the rumors of human sacrifice. But Manton, he blames the spiral staircase, this house, for the turn that the family took from like the fun and games, love and sex type of lifestyle that they've been living for the last couple years mm-hmm. into the madness that eventually overtook him. He described him as, quote, a hardcore, multiple devil-worshipping bunch of people. You know, yeah. and I just feel like, you know when a party goes on too long and it starts to get dark? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. what this is, is that when you've been drinking and doing a lot of drugs and it starts getting that turn, yeah. that really weird turn, and this is where it basically happens for them and it switches their whole perspective because really at this point it was a sex-based group yeah right they were just trying they were all having sex with each other and like doing free love and that's kind of thing and it just started taking this fucking turn and then charlie being the comment who he is it knows he has to be ahead of the curve has to now instate himself as the leader of this devil worshiping group Right. Yeah, and, and they're all too fucked up to climb or uh, climb down a spiral staircase anyway. So that's just a <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It really just makes it a one one story house. Yeah, this is when Charlie he has his first vision of being a Christ like figure. He said he had he was uh, doing acid in this house, and he said a figure in a white robe told him, "Now, Charles, these are your loves, and you are their need." And then Charlie himself in the hallucination became the man in the white robe. And how was, much acid? How, how much, much acid? So much acid. Yeah, because he's, I mean, he is looking around the room and he believed that he was controlling every single aspect of the room. Like he saw a guy that was looking at him sideways and he said, you know, I made him fall down and break a lamp. And there was another guy, like there was right. a woman dancing in a, in a hallway. He's like, I was thirsty, so I had her go get me a glass of water. She went and got him a glass of water. Uh, but, yeah, he was so fucking high. So, so high. Right. And so after this strange episode uh, in which man, there was a, another strange episode after that, another Christ-like thing. Manson, he was just wrapped in a dirty fucking white towel. He was washing a man's <laughs> feet, which, you know, when you're in the middle of like a, a really weird fucking acid trip or a weird hallucinatory trip. You start putting shit together for yourself. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, things just kind of start coming together. You start doing just weird shit was going. And Susan Atkins said, Charlie was dressed in a white robe, and I had so much love for him, I thought he was Jesus. It was a shit-stained white towel. Yes, it was. Yeah. But in, in response to this, Charlie said, Except maybe in just, I mean, no one else ever said that shit. <laughs> white towels, some very dirty feet, some words from a dope-talking ding-a-ling broad can lead a bunch of people into believing a guy is some kind of God. I feel there are a lot of people in this world who are crazier than most would like to believe I am. So after things started to get weird sex-wise in this house, uh, Charlie took the girls and left, although they, they returned many times over the next year or so. Uh, and he, he said, at that time, not in a million years could I have been convinced that things would turn out bloody and bad. And that's where we're going to end our first episode on Manson. Not in a million years. Not in a million. Not in one million, million years. Not that a, thought wouldn't have crossed through us. Not in one million years do you think they would we turn out thought, bloody and bad. You just thought bad. the party was just they were going to be balling and laughing for forever, but then it yeah, turns right. out eventually things have to change, and then if you want to stay in charge of that group, you have to change too. Yeah. Right. Uh, right, right, right. Uh, you will see that change. God, and, he is. Yeah, who, who do you think? Uh, Koresh? Or Manson or Jim Jones beauty scale. 
Best looking? <laughs> Who is it? I'm Charles gonna, Manson. I'm giving it to Koresh, honestly. <sighs> That's a tough decision. Jim Jones is an old man, kind of like bigger, puffier, fatter had the face. Eyes. Yeah. Yeah, Manson definitely had the yeah. eyes. Bring yeah. into account height. Bring into account height. Mm, that is true. I'm, I'd Koresh. imagine Koresh was, yeah. I mean, if you're going for the full package. Uh, but, Charlie, better fashion sense. That's very yes. true, minus the. And uh, he played the do- guitar. Poorly. No, but- no, Koresh played the guitar too. Remember, he was in a band. Uh, he was great. I just wish- and Jim Jones, he only played the slide whistle, mm-hmm. which was a problem. Yeah. He's more of a public speaker <laughs> type. So, ladies, go to the Facebook page and let us know Koresh, Jones, or Manson, who do you think is the dreamiest? Um, so in two days, uh, tomorrow, it's it's Halloween. Yeah. Oh, uh, my God. It's my f- a favorite holiday, and I'm so happy I'm going to Atlanta uh, to be for the, for the last ever Atlanta zombie apocalypse. If you are in Atlanta, I suggest going tomorrow night to the Atlanta zombie apocalypse. It's going to be fucking nuts. Apparently, they have had several code greens this year. What's which a code means green? A code green is to throw up from fear. No! They've had several people throw up all over themselves in the maze. So I'm excited for it. Well, don't eat Uh, too much before you go in. No, no, no. I'm going to have a big slab of barbecue. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, Yeah, don't have those three hot dogs that you and Jackie had at Haunted Halloween. By the way, (laughs) on the last roundtable, Jackie described her experience with you slightly different than you did, Mr. Zabrowski. I said I was scared. No, you did not. No, you did not. I about the fucking Dracula guy popping out, and I fell over the fucking stalactite (laughs) and hurt my knee. (laughs) You said said it was nothing but Political correct garbage, just commercial no, nonsense. You're you're a drunk. <laughs> it's, it's 11 a.m. I'm possibly drunk. Yes, possibly. Um, all right, everyone. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll do a hail yourselves. Yes, hell yeah. And uh, before we get out of here, don't forget to go to cavecomedyradio.com/slash/lastpodcast on the left for more episodes and to get your last podcast on the left T-shirt. We just sent out our second batch yesterday. Uh, so if if you uh, ordered after we got our first batch, you'll be getting your T-shirts in a couple of days. Uh, the international people who didn't get theirs in the first batch are going to be getting theirs here in the next week yeah. or so. So if you want your last podcast on the left T-shirt, go to cavecomedyradio.com slash lastpodcast on the left. There is a PayPal button there. It's $25 for domestic uh, or $40 uh, for overseas. Uh, and it's a fucking awesome yeah. shirt. Ben's wearing his right now, I and am. it looks fucking awesome. And, uh, I'm loving seeing all these people wearing these shirts out and there. And thank you it guys. It means a lot. Thank you guys so much it for does, your patience yeah. with that. You know, it's just us three doing this entire thing. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, yeah. we're doing the best we can, and uh, we just really appreciate uh, you ordering, and we'll get them to you as quick as possible. As quick as humanly fucking possible. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for all the uh, T-shirts that uh, that you've ordered so far, and uh, thank you in advance for the ones that you will order in the future. All right, let's go to Magustalations. Oh, I'm sorry, Magustalations. Henry. And I just want to say hail Satan, everybody, again. Satan, I just want to put it out there. Thank you for getting me through trials and tribulations. Thank you for giving me power in powerless situations. I love you, Satan. You're sounding like a real Charles Manson there. (laughs) Sounding like a real Charles Manson. And Heil Gein. All right. Heil me! All right, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. See you, fuckers. (laughs) Oh, happy Halloween. Yeah, we said happy Halloween. Yeah, yeah, we said happy Halloween. Yeah, but still, happy Halloween again. Yeah. Can never say it too much. You can't. I love it. I love it.